okay, well, let's get started in our lesson this morning. Uh, we've done our prayer request. We'll read the scripture next, then look at the summary statement. Now, I'm still waiting for the day when I ask, have you written a summary statement? All the hands go up. Call on me, Kirby. Call on me. Uh, but it's a very important exercise. Uh, I think it, it solidifies in our minds what the passage is all about. It, it aids in being able to teach to the text exactly what it says. And people are already familiar with it. And uh, it works out really great when that all comes together. Same thing on the discussion questions. Everybody raise your hand if you have answered the discussion question. And then we'll look at the text as a whole as we go through the outline. So let me read through 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us understanding of this passage. Help us to see exactly what you intend to communicate to us, and then help us by your Holy Spirit to do what we find there. Okay, so summary statement. I'm looking for hands. Rhonda. <laughs> Three persons of the Trinity, equally divine, yet they are one God. Certain roles correspond more closely to one person than another. Mercies and comfort come from God, so that we can comfort and participate in another's suffering. Paul suffered in Asia, but through those sufferings learned not to trust in, our, in himself or ourselves, but in God. He who raises the dead and hears the prayers of his people, prayer being the vehicle he ordained to point us to salvation. Okay, great. Uh, that captures, I think, uh, most of the themes of that passage and, and draws from our discussion questions, too, about uh, what you found there when you looked up that scripture and answered the discussion questions. Anybody else with a summary they'd like to share with us? Yes, Brian. We do not grieve or suffer as citizens of no hope, but we have a God that is greater than all our trials. Not only is he able to 
offer comfort, he is also able to say to the other ones, with such a love he has shown us towards us, we should love others. Okay, great. It's a good summary of that those nine verses there. Who else? Edward. My joke hangs. I got the back of my Okay, three sentences. In other words, um, this uh, this passage expresses gratitude to God as a father of compassion and comfort to the open. It highlights that God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in their difficulties. And the passage also emphasizes the importance of relying on God's help during hardships, as the Corinthians did, and how their faith and prayers played a role in their deliverance. Okay, very good. Again, we capture most of those themes there in that in that uh, passage. Well, let me share with you my attempt at writing a summary statement. Paul praises God, the Father of our Lord, and says the purpose of his afflictions is so God might comfort him, and thus he would be able to comfort others. He mentions his afflictions while in Asia as being beyond his strength to bear but were for the purpose of causing him to rely on God and not himself. Paul is confident that as God has delivered in the past, so will he now in the future, now and in the future. He asks for the Corinthians' prayers, knowing that his blessings come from, from God, uh, that his blessing from God comes through the prayers of many, and that many will therefore praise God. So let's uh, go into our discussion questions and we'll look at this passage in detail. Question number one. Paul begins verse three with what sounds like a traditional Jewish praise, which is blessed be God. And then more after that, except Paul Christianizes this blessing, this praise to God. He does so by introducing the relationship between God and Christ. What part of the verse shows this? Paul also introduces the connection between Christ and believers. What part of the verse indicates this? And here's the verse. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So first of all, which of those uh, words describe the relationship between God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody? Yeah, he is the Father, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think what Paul is trying to do here, since he's writing to the Corinthians and very much or, or much of the content of Second Corinthians has to do with his authority as an apostle. And as we've spoken before, it's not his authority that he's trying to emphasize, it's God's authority, because he is an apostle who has been sent by Christ, so he's an emissary from Christ to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so that's the source of his authority. That authority is being called into question. And Paul is trying to establish that authority. Here he begins his letter, just like he did in 1 Corinthians, in a very subtle manner by putting on the table those issues that he's going to be talking about and that will help bolster those issues. So he's pointing out that 
he is an emissary from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's his source of authority. It doesn't matter who he is, and he's not claiming you better listen to me. What he's claiming is you need to listen to God and to Jesus Christ whom he sent, who then sent me. So what's the relationship then between us, our believers, and the Lord Jesus Christ? Two words there. Our Lord. Our Lord. He is our Lord, and then he is Lord. Now that word gets bandied about indiscriminately today. I think we all do that. Uh, I'm prone to say things like when I'm exasperated, Lord have mercy. But that cheapens the word, doesn't it, when we do that, when we throw it about like that. Uh, the Lord means he is sovereign. He is the creator of all things. He owns all things. He is the Lord that is the master of our lives. And we should so order our life that we are obedient to him and recognize him as our Lord. So I think what Paul does here is he's setting forth this issue of authority that he's going to be addressing in various places throughout the letter. So relationship is God and Father of Jesus, and then Jesus is related to us as our Lord. Now, uh, I will say this. Whenever you find the plural pronoun in 2 Corinthians, we, our, us, that usually is Paul referring to himself. Sometimes in some of his writings, it's hard to tell. Does he mean all of the people who are traveling with me and my group and who he may mention in the letter that he's writing? Uh, is, it, is it that we or us? Or is Paul using an editorial we? In other words, when he says uh, us or we, He's referring to himself. And I think the latter is the case in 2 Corinthians in most cases. But because of the nature of what he's saying about himself, we know that that also applied to the Corinthians. He's applying that to them as well. And therefore, it applies to us. So it applies to all believers. But I think when he says it's our Lord Jesus Christ, he's bolstering his authority by pointing that out. The ESV Study Bible says comfort is the overall disposition that comes from resting in God's sovereign and loving rule as manifested in Christ's lordship. I love that definition of comfort because it takes it out of the realm of our depending upon God to comfort us and it place, places the responsibility upon us. It is our responsibility to rest in God's sovereignty, to recognize that he is the sovereign Lord. He's creator of the universe. He is over this creation of his, and yet he is also the God of all comfort who comforts his people. Uh, I ask you to read through Isaiah 40 that describes how God is a comfort to his people. Now, I think if you're depressed, if, if the trials of this life are, are overwhelming sometimes, reading Isaiah 40 is a great cure for that problem because it defines who God is and what he is 
capable of doing and also willing to do. And, and so we'll look at it in just a minute. But what actions or attributes of God that are mentioned in Isaiah 40 that cause God's people of all times to find rest in him as the God of all comfort? What did you read about in 40? Yes. He's our redeemer. He's our redeemer. Okay, good. What else? A lot of things there in Isaiah 40. Yes. He's our shepherd. He's our shepherd. He's the Lord, but he's also our shepherd. What does he do as a shepherd? He feeds his flock. He feeds his flock and he takes them into his bosom, doesn't he? Uh, it's a wonderful thought and, and comforting when we're going through difficulties. Let me just... I, I didn't find a place to put all 31 verses, so I just chose some here. He begins with comfort, comfort my people. So right from the outset, God is informing the readers of his word that he intends to comfort his people. Now, in this case, he's talking about Israel. Israel had been under his judgment for their unbelief and for their uh, failure to adhere to him and obey him and instead running off with uh, idol worship and other things. And, but he says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. This wrath of God that's been poured out on Israel is now coming to an end. That her iniquity is pardoned. Now that's one of the great comforts for all Christians of all times that when we place our trust in Christ, for Israel it's looking forward to the, to the suffering of the Messiah in their place. For us it's looking back to the cross and finding that God has sent Christ to pay the penalty for our sins. There's great comfort to be had in the knowledge that our iniquities are pardoned. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The Bible is the source of our comfort too because it is the Word of God. All Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and therefore is profitable. It is profitable for us. It is profitable for the purpose of comforting us as well. We should not abandon the reading and the study of God's Word when we are going through difficult times. Verse 10 the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. The Lord our God is omnipotent. He is strong and powerful. He can do all things. And in the very next verse, look at the change in tone here. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. The Lord God Almighty ruler of all things, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom. He'll gently lead those that are with young. What a great source of comfort that is to God's people of all ages. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Again, God's omnipotence. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Who taught him the path of justice 
and taught him knowledge and showed him in the way of understanding? The answer is nobody did that. There was no one who could do that. God is omniscient. He knows all things and he is eternal. So he needed no one to teach him how to be God. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are as counted as the dust on the scales. Listen to 21. I particularly like this. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Lift up your eyes on high, he says, to the stars. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power. Not one is missing. Have you ever stood outside at night in some place where there's no light pollution and you can actually see the stars? It's an amazing experience. Two times in my life I have had no surrounding light and been able to clearly see all the stars. One time was in Arizona driving from the Grand Canyon back down to Phoenix and I was in the back of a, of a station wagon and out the back, I could see the stars the whole way, driving from uh, the Grand Canyon back down to Phoenix, and it was wonderful. Another time was when I was in Africa, a little bit below the equator, so all the stars are different, or most many of them are. And, and I went outside the house that I was staying in and stood there in the yard and was just amazed at the billions upon billions of stars and to think that God made them all. And he names them all. And he's not lost one of those things. And then I thought, but this is Africa and I'm standing out at night. <laughs> and the things that eat you in Africa are out at night. So I went back in the house and I didn't, didn't do that again. Uh, ample reason to find that God is a God of all comfort, isn't there? And the way we do that is by resting in his sovereignty and love. Well, not all afflictions are the same. If you read 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and Romans 8, 35, you'll find one kind of affliction. Now, there's an overlapping there. Those verses have some of the two, two kinds, but, but I think they stand out as being one particular kind of affliction. And then when you compare it to 2 Corinthians 7, 5 and Philippians 1, 17, you find another kind of affliction. We're not talking about individual afflictions, but we're talking about categories of affliction. And the question is then, which did Paul suffer from? So when you looked at those two sets of verses, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and Romans 8, 35 show us one kind. Which way is that? What's the category of affliction there? External. 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 These are the external things that happen to you. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. So we might say physical also, right? We're not driven to despair. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are external afflictions that are being placed upon you. So the second set of questions, 2 Corinthians 7, 5 and Philippians 1, 17, describe a different kind of affliction. What's that? Spiritual. The spiritual. Uh, I might say emotional, mental, and spiritual. It's that internal aspect, aspect of our life uh, that we come into affliction for. Paul says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn. And here's some of that overlap. Fighting without, but fear within. Philippians 1.17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. These are uh, interlopers who are preaching Christ so that it will increase Paul's affliction when he's in prison. Stirs up the authorities and they're more difficult on, on Paul because of it. Uh, they preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So they're they're increasing Paul's despair and his anxiety about uh, being in a in a first century prison somewhere. Don't think I would want to be there. I've been in 21st century prisons, so I, I think it's probably worse back then. Now, which of those two kinds does Paul suffer? Both. He's suffering spiritually. He's suffering physically as well. And, and we see that as we read through this passage this morning. Here are some of the afflictions that Paul experienced that are mentioned in 2 Corinthians. And I gave you those verses to look at. Uh, and then I gave you the account of Paul's afflictions as we find them in Acts. And I ask you to read as many of those if you, as you have time to, to look up. Can you see instances of both kinds of affliction that you found in the previous question? Did you? Can you give us an example of those? From either what's said in 2 Corinthians or in Acts that Paul wrote specifically about his afflictions? Well, he had a thorn in his side that never was... Yeah. And he begged God to remove it, didn't he? And God would not because it was his intention to cause Paul to continue to rely upon him and not himself. <coughs> shipwrecked Yeah, shipwrecked, beaten. There's all sorts of stuff there. Um, let me... Well, I, again, I didn't have room to put everything. Here, here's one of the fullest, I think. This is 2 Corinthians 11 that we'll study later on. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Uh, it was widely considered 40 lashes could kill you. So this took one away and made it 39. 
And, and that's what they've done to, to Paul, he says, five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from river, rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He goes through this great list of external or physical afflictions. And then he concludes that probably even greater is this anxiety for all of the churches that he has planted and is continuing to minister to. And no doubt particularly is talking about the Corinthians. Uh, Corinthians were another thorn in the flesh for Paul. Uh, they, they did not... Well, remember we talked about the unique situation that made them who they were. Unique geographically, economically, and culturally. And, and they had a, an attitude. Uh, they were better than others. And Paul is having to address all of that. Now, someone is telling them that you shouldn't have Paul as, even though he's founded the church, he's not the one you should listen to. Because look at what's happening to him. God obviously is not blessing him if he gets stoned and whipped and all of the things we just read. Paul is making the point throughout this letter that it's precisely because of those things that you should be listening to me because that's what God is doing to me to make me trust in him and to equip me to be able to help you in your comfort. And so it, it, it's a claim to authority that's based upon the interlopers teaching that he should not have any authority. So Paul just turns it around, a little jujitsu on Paul's part here. Uh, from these references... Did God strengthen Paul to bear up under these afflictions or did he deliver him out of them all? Strengthen. Strengthen. He strengthened him because a lot of times he didn't take those things away, did he? Did he ever deliver them out of them all? Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you read Ephesians, uh, his account of what happened in, in Ephesus when he was in Asia. Remember there was a great uprising of the silversmiths and the other artisans because they felt like Paul was taking their livelihood away. And whether that's what he mentions as being all this great affliction where he felt like he had the sentence of death or whether it was some other thing, a lot of people believe what well, we have recorded in Acts regarding what happened in, in uh, Ephesus isn't bad enough to match up to what Paul says happened to him. So it was either that instance in Ephesus where he was called into the stadium and, and there was a near riot. Uh, he's either referring to that and it was worse than how he described it or else it's another instance of persecution that we don't have record of 
somewhere in that period of time when he was in Asia. Uh, and there specifically, Paul says, and he delivered me out of them all. So I think it's both things. God allowed him to continue in some afflictions. He had a purpose in doing so. It was a loving purpose in doing so, so that Paul would learn more and more to depend upon God and not upon himself or upon men. But he also delivered him, delivered him in order to encourage him and, and make him realize that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as he has delivered him in the past, he is delivering him now, and he will deliver him again in the future. And that should apply to all of us, I think. When we look back at how God has both comforted us in affliction and he has delivered us out of affliction, and, and the fact that God has told us, I am the Lord, I change not. How he has behaved in the past toward us is how we can expect him to behave in the future. Uh, so it gives us a great sense of comfort. Well, here's the outline of the passage. Two points. First, God comforts in affliction in verses 3 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 11, God delivers from affliction. So let's just step down through that passage. We see, first of all, he comforts in affliction and he offers praise for God, as we looked at in, in verse 3. He's the God and Father of our Lord. That shows us his relationship to Christ. And it shows us also Christ's relationship to us. He is our Lord. And that was the source of Paul's authority in dealing with the Corinthians. He calls him the God of all comfort in the second part of verse 3. Uh, comfort means resting in God's sovereign and loving rule. It's resting in God's sovereign and loving rule. So comfort in the Old Testament is relief from sorrow and distress. Now that word that's translated comfort in the Old Testament, Hebrew word, is brought over into the new, uh, into uh, the the uh, Greek with the word that we find in our English version. Uh, there was a Septuagint, and the Septuagint was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And most of the time, when you read in the New Testament, somebody quoting from the New Testament. Uh, the one that are from the Old Testament. The Old Testament they're reading is the Septuagint. It's the Greek version. Uh, most people could speak and understand Greek. So Old Testament word, sorrow and address. The word that they use to, to uh, translate that is the same word we have in our English version translated from the Greek, and it means to call alongside of. So the idea is having someone alongside of you to be your solace, your consolation, your exhortation to keep going. And this word, parakletos, is the word that Jesus uses of the Holy Spirit in naming him the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember, Jesus told the disciples that when I go away, what's he going to do? When I go away, I'll send the Comforter. 
Our ESV says helper. That's a good translation, but most of us know it as comforter. Uh, same word, parakletos, or to anglicize it, the paraclete. You'll sometimes hear the Holy Spirit called the paraclete. Uh, he's the one who comes alongside of us, and he helps us. He comforts us. So we've seen that the Word of God is the source of our comfort, and we also see here that God's Holy Spirit is the source of our comfort. Having a God who is like what the one that we read in Isaiah 40 and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that gives us great comfort as we are going through persecutions. So we see all three members of the Godhead involved in this. And I forget who, but somebody's summary mentioned the Trinity. All three members of the Godhead are involved in comforting God's people, either in it or delivering us out of it. He talks about the purpose of affliction there in verses 4 through 7. He's a God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So back in our outline, it causes us to seek comfort. Uh, it equips us to, to comfort others because we have experienced God's comfort. And we know when we find someone else, a fellow believer who is suffering, we can encourage them and, and talk with them about God's power and his might and his ability to comfort and his willingness to comfort and his promises that he will indeed comfort us in times of affliction. And the only way we can do that is we have experienced affliction and we have experienced God's comfort in that time. And then we share in Christ's sufferings and comfort. Now, when Paul talks about sharing in Christ's suffering, he's not talking about the expiatory sufferings of Christ. Only God's Son can do that. But other aspects of Christ's suffering, Paul describes his life going through all of those things we read a minute ago as sharing in the suffering of Christ because he's doing that because Christ called him on the road to Damascus. Uh, and he was sent as an apostle of Jesus Christ to deliver the words of God and to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So he sees that as sharing in Christ's suffering. But if he shares in Christ's suffering, he also shares in the comfort as well and is able to share that with the Corinthians and by extension to us, as we read the words that he wrote in the New Testament. The second main point is that God delivers from affliction. 
He gives us the example there of his affliction in Asia. He says he despaired of... I I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a peril. So here's Paul's account of his suffering in Ephesus and the fact that, that God's purpose was as an example uh, to others. And he gives us this as an example to us of his affliction in Asia and God's deliverance. God's purpose also, he says in verse 9, that God is causing him to rely upon God for his deliverance rather than depending upon his own abilities or the ability of other humans. And so purpose is important. When we realize that the things that are happening to us, now I'm not talking about suffering because you robbed a bank or, you know, or deserve it. You've done something that deserves punishment. That's not the affliction we're talking about. Uh, This is affliction that God has brought into our life as a purpose. And one of the purposes that he does that for is that we will rely upon him, knowing that he is the omnipotent God. He is both able to comfort and to deliver, and he is willing to comfort and deliver. Next is confidence that I talked about a few minutes ago. We know how God has behaved in the past toward us. We know he does not change. And so we know as we enter uh, those afflictions that are not for anything bad that we have done, that when we enter into that, God will behave toward us as he has promised to behave in the scriptures, especially in Isaiah 40, and also as he has acted in in the past to either comfort us in those afflictions or to deliver us out of those afflictions. I'm 76 years old. I remember a lot of miry pits. And and sometimes it seemed like there's no way out of the miry pit. And, uh, And my bones will be lying in the miry pit eventually. But here I am. God has delivered me out of all of those things for 76 years, even before I knew him. He did that. And then finally, there's thanksgiving involved in this comfort. He says it's, he asked specifically for the Corinthians prayers for him, knowing that his success and his comforting is the answer to prayers of many to whom he ministers in all of the churches that he has planted around the the known world at the time. And he says, if you pray to God for my deliverance and my comfort, then God will answer that prayer and then God will receive the praise for the answered prayer. So we have a striking instance here of soli deo gloria. Glory is to God alone. Soli alone Deo God, glory. It is to the glory of God alone 
that this happens. And Paul recognizes it's not because of what he has done. We should recognize it's not because of anything we can do. It is God who deserves the honor and the glory. Solely the glory.